Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to Is This It? I'm your host, Donna Grunberger, and I'm here to have meaningful conversations with talented and purpose-driven people to discover what mindset allowed them to overcome their greatest challenges and achieve success and share it with you so you can do the same. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider joining my exclusive Patreon community to support the show and unlock bonus content. Our pleasure is mostly overridden. Our desires are mostly overridden most of our life, even in respected relationship with people who think they're doing the right thing. We override ourselves that we say yes, we let things happen. We let ourselves being touched. We let ourselves being penetrated. We let ourselves go into things that is not truly what we want. We are in a reactionary phase where we want to break down the institutional values and structures of society that were fully orientated around men, male pleasure, male power. And as a result of that, we play their game. And you have to choice. You can either play their game or you can try and play your game. Your game has no chance in there. On today's episode, Chloe McIntosh, founder of the sexual education app, Kama. Probably one of the biggest blind spots we have in our society that we think intelligence come from here. I discovered this intelligence everywhere. I mean, remember how uh, in the beginning when we were talking, I said, why, why is there so much misconstrued ideas about sex? And you mentioned it later on. If we are empowered, if we are wise, if we are self-sufficient, that doesn't sell. Mm-hmm. No. The whole world, as you said, is built around hundreds of thousands of businesses that all exist because we misidentify mm-hmm. who we are and what our capabilities are and what our needs are. Yeah. And think of women as, you know, for the longest time, women were not considered in the consumer business. You know, we were kind of secondary to decision-making process that came from men for a very long time. So there's the oppression of that. And then suddenly we have a bit more power. We start becoming working people. We start bringing value to society. Now we're the biggest audience. We're Mm -hmm. the biggest audience because we've been deceived. You know, we've been told for so long that we don't, we're not enough, that now we're the perfect audience for this consumer business. So now we're saying all the power of consumer is in the hands of women, as if it's a good thing. But that's only a sign of what has been lacking for us for so long. And the fact that, you know, the oppression of, of women is still very real today. We've, lo- we've gone a long way, but in so many ways, I talk to people in my space, you know, we were on this retreat. Women are constantly overridden in their pleasure, in their desire. Things are taken from them. They are touched when they don't want to be touched. They're penetrated before they want to be penetrated. They are not really listened to. Their way of having sex and making love and being sensual isn't really communicated in the media. We never see a woman fully expressed. We've never seen in our society what it looks like for a woman to be truly expressed in her full feminine sexual sensual being. We are so unable to hold that, that when it happens, something goes wrong. That it happens, they are taken. That when it happens, they are abused. Because the male psyche cannot deal with that expression because it's not been shown in the world. It's not been, you know, normalized. It's been hidden. And the power is so strong of our expression that is destabilizes society. I got goosebumps. That is so true. Everything that we know about 
sex and sexuality is portrayed, if you look at it really from a male perspective, the porn industry, the music videos, and even I'm immediately thinking when you were talking about female sexual expression. So, for example, you know, the music videos of like Cardi B Mm -hmm. and Nicki Minaj and, you know, whatever other Mm -hmm. where they're being like female liberation and that might be true that might be that you know their expression but i can't help but to think that yes that is i guess <clears throat> the other extreme mm-hmm. of rebelling against the previous era of music videos where there was you know just maybe male rappers and then there all the girls were just in the background mm-hmm. choreography like arm candies and like bimbos now there are these you know strong empowered protagonist mm-hmm. females that are creating that are taking their sexuality and they're you know marketing it themselves mm-hmm. they're monetizing it themselves because everyone was doing it for them before mm-hmm. so now they're doing it for mm-hmm. themselves themselves mm-hmm. but if we take it another level mm-hmm. uh, further then I'm just thinking, but we're still playing it in the avenue of the male vision yes. and male perspective. and Because surely, for your own pleasure, you're not going to be going and twerking in front of shit tons of men. Mm-hmm. Surely I that's not like you. your idea of mm-hmm. your full yeah. expression. Because if you expand that, what is and what could be for you, then you wouldn't even care. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even care what they think of you. You wouldn't care if they appreciate you or they think that's hot because you do what you think is hot yeah. and feels good to you. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think about that, you know, I think about that a lot. I think that we are in a reactionary, you know, phase where we want to break down the institutional values and structures of society that were fully orientated around men, male pleasure, male power. Um, And as a result of that, we play their game. It was the same when I started, you know, as a professional within a really male-orientated professional world, like architecture and then tech, tech, which is still very male-orientated. You have to choice. You can either play their game or you can try and play your game. Your game has no chance in there to start with. It's only now starting to be okay to have emotions at work, to to worry about your personal well-being before the job that you're doing. It wasn't the case when I was working. No one cared about your family structure, whether you have a young mother with children. I didn't have pictures of my kids on my desk because I thought it would affect the way people would see me. Mm. You know, so we've gone a long way, but still... I'm sorry, I have to interject to you. Just, just what you said that when a man has photos of their family That's he's so like nice. great family great man fam- more more trust yeah. uh, more trustable better to do business with more reliable yes give them more deals yeah. and for a woman, it's like, oh, that's a liability. she yeah. might go and yes. you know have another one she has other priorities she has other priorities ah, yeah, crazy yeah, this was like that for me, you know I was so aware of that so me because I'm French, I decided that being a woman is a skill. And so I really, and it's not a skill to get men to do what they don't want, to seduce them, not at all. I was very professional, always super bounded, very clear. But I could get away with things men couldn't get away with because I was a woman, because mm-hmm. they don't see competition with a woman. So you can so get they in. They underestimated you and you used You them. know, this is the biggest <laughs> acceptance I've had to do in my professional life. I've always been underestimated, but it means that people get nicely surprised. 
Nice. So you just have to work with it, you know, fighting that. And, you know, yeah, I knew I would great. walk into a room and they would think I'm not this and not that. I would, my, I would say something, they would cut me off and I wouldn't all the time. That's the experience of most women. But, you know, for me, I also want to have a narrative that isn't about men versus women. Because I do think that men are also set out uh, or set up in society. Their sexuality is simplified. They, get, they think about sex all the time. They get hard. Then they want this kind of friction sex and they ejaculate. And, you know. and actually, there is so much more for them to explore. There is so much more for like masculine energy. We need that energy. And that energy is... You know, in sexuality, we say that the masculine energy is the pole under which the feminine can dance, mm. right? So we need that. The problem is the holding space and being, you know, truthful and is challenged because women are not expressed. So as soon as they get a flare of something, it destabilizes them because they're not able to deal with it. So because we're not educated, because we don't have equality in the way that we can express ourselves and our value in society, it creates those triggers and reactions which sets us all back in a way, both men and women and, and everyone in between. Because let's not forget that this idea of men and women is, is a construct again, mm. you know, more and more. And I saw this at the retreat. We were there as a group of people. I was touching women or men. We were related. We did a lot of blinded practices where you are with a human being. Mm. What is their energy? What is their presence? You know, because touch and presence is really the secret of pleasure. It's when you touch with presence that you can truly, you know, generate pleasure. And if you can be present in receiving, then you have you receive pleasure, you know, also. So the presence is really the art of pleasure is presence because today a lot of people have pleasure let's say two people having sex and typically in order to have more pleasure they'll both be thinking about something in their head but often something different you know i would be adding some people into the scene thinking i'm also the da they would be thinking about maybe a porn clip they seen that's really hot and we think of separate things so we're not present with each other it's hard to have intimacy in full presence. You have to be ready to be seen, you know, and it's, it's very hard for people because we are not educated to be seen. We're educated to put a lot of masks, to pretend we don't have kids, to pretend it's not our priority, to pretend we don't have problems at home, to pretend that we didn't have massive breakdown, to, to pretend everything is okay. To pretend to be perfect. To pretend to be, be perfect or try times. to be perfect, you know. Perfect performers, sexually. I believe that too, you know, like I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to excel, to to be the best, to be seen, to, to and not as much for others, but me, I had that expectation on myself that it really mattered to. And then the other thing that I tell my kids, and I think my, own, my other little findings is that the whole thing with practice is that it helps you become masterful with yourself and with life. And finding what you really love to do, which was not the way I was educated either. It was like, oh, you love doing this. Yeah, but that's not going to make you money. Mm. That's not going to get you anywhere, right? So I say to my kids, find what you love, what gets you in the flow, where you feel the most present. What are these things? And then design your life around it because that is your mastery. 
Your flow is your mastery. And if you live a life of mastery, you master life. We're supposed to master what we are best at. That is our gift, whatever that is. And we need to design a society where all those gifts are seen to also be gifts for society, rather than, you know, unless you do those kinds of job, you will get respect or you will be worthy of a career, you know, which is why I went into architecture. I was very creative as a child, but my mom was an artist. We had no money and it was really tough. So I thought artistic, you know, field is really scary. I'm going to do architecture because it's a diploma, it's respected. So I made choices, you know, that were guided by fear rather than by what my heart was yearning and what I was good at, which is, you know, being with people, you know, breaking down concepts, helping people understand them, artistic expressions, you know, all these things which I never did during my life. You know, I'm creative. I'm a creative person and I've never had a creative job. All because of fear. All because of society telling me that if, if you're creative, you know, creative people don't really get paid that well because they're doing what they love. You think, how weird is that? I can resonate with you on so many levels. My mother's an artist. My sister's an artist. Wow. Um, my dad uh, also somehow works <laughs> in the in the art industry. And I grew up with exactly the same mm -hmm. concept. I was like, there's no way I'm going to go that route because that doesn't make mm -hmm. money and that means no survival basically mm -hmm. so and, and you know i was thinking of something else because with ai you know becoming such a big conversation um we for us creative people we thought great we're in the right place because ai you know can't be that creative it's going to do the tasks that are very repetitive that are very cognitive but then all the creative thing but now they can do that too so what we have that they don't have is connection. That's Amen. the only thing that we really need to nurture because that is the only avenue for us to stay human and to humanize our life is to experience connection, experience pleasure, experience life in a sensorial, fully embodied way because the machine won't be able to do that, you know, at least not in the next many, many, many years, uh, because AI will evolve to probably be able to create life on its own. Mm. You know, that's also what I believe in. Yeah, it's a bit scary. I used to think that we are, that we are an accident, you know, in a sense we, we just happened. And we are here to save the planet and make sure that we can live on this earth uh, in a healthy way, in harmony. Um, and I often thought that humans somewhat are disillusioned about their position in the universe, you know, that they are so important and so central. And actually, the Earth will survive without us way later after we disappear. Mm -hmm. But now I understand maybe we are the experiment. We are a big, big part of this interesting experiment that is Earth, where maybe the experiment is about us realizing how do we live on earth mm. you know how as human we will eventually evolve enough to understand that the earth is designed to tell the story about life everything about nature reminds us how to live here whether it's the ocean you know going in and out as a way of reminding us that things come and go or that every sunrise and sunset is different so we know every day is new and fresh that there are seasons where everything dies and comes back again this is a way of life 
This is an education about how to live in harmony with this environment. And then when we do that, we are nature. And then finally, we can actually reach this enlightenment that we are so deeply looking for. Mm. You know, it's not in the intellectualizing. It is in the living in, the in living, harmony in the living. with our environment. I mean, this is a conversation that I've been having with quite a few people recently. And as more and more people start awakening, they start realizing the truth on some levels, at least in some fragments of their lives. This community living, this better type mm -hmm. of living, closer to nature, uh, with people um, that you care about, that you resonate with, is that something that you see happening in the near future and how practically that could work, thinking for myself as mm -hmm. well? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Again, it's a phase of life. I talk to friends of mine who are younger. They're in a, a different stage in their career, being in a city, uh, uh, exposed to different connections and networks and opportunities crucial for them in, the, in, in what they want to achieve in life. At my age now, having done these things, moving to Ibiza was my way of doing exactly this. I want to be in an environment where my body wakes up happy every day around people who have similar ideas about how to live here with a daily practice that is in synchronicity with my philosophy which is movement every day, in touch with nature, very sensorial living, with a diet that is, you know, adequate for my phase of life. Um, I believe this is what is making, is allowing me to be present at all, at, as many times as I can and, and happier than I've ever been. Mm. So it's a choice one can make based on their own aspirations because we still live in the real world. We still live in this material world where in order to feel good and to have the stability or to be reflected the way we want, there are things we want to do. I was like that. I wanted to, you know, be successful at business. I wanted to be seen as a, as a smart, able person that can be part of a team and add value. When I joined Soho House, the only reason I joined Soho House and had that role is because I'd achieved something before. Mm. You know, so I don't want to simplify it so much that I say, oh, you could just go in nature and touch yourself all day. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> that is not realistic. But it's about, as you say, it's awareness of your needs mm. and starting to slowly but surely adapt aspects of your life so that you get closer to it. And another time when you can, yeah, get closer and closer to this ideal lifestyle and also the power of like visualizing what is it you want. Mm. Clarity, clarity and awareness is your superpowers. And from what I'm hearing you say is it's going to be different stages for different people. It's just important that you take that time again to understand what it is that you really want mm. and move closer to what feels real and what feels true so you mentioned earlier uh, that your own experience followed a certain pattern so knowing what you know now about this wisdom that the body holds and this lifestyle that's making you really happy right now If you'd go back in time, would you choose to do that straight away, mm -hmm. knowing that you know, or would you still go through mm -hmm. that intellectual experience? And why I'm asking this is someone that's maybe young listening, mm -hmm. would you recommend them still go through that cognitive path 
but that mind path and that you know career the accolades or would you tell them that going through this intuitive inner wisdom path will get them even faster to where they want to go so i would have loved to know earlier that my wisdom is already here today's episode is brought to you by momo kombucha if like me you like to be healthy and enjoy life at the same time momo could be a great addition to your diet Tangy and sweet, fizzy and refreshing, it's also great for your gut. Momo is a natural, unfiltered kombucha, which is a fermented drink that's low in sugar and naturally contains probiotics and healthy organic acids. On top of that, it's full of antioxidants and acetic acid, which is great for boosting energy and lowering blood sugar levels. I like having it both on empty stomach and as a mocktail in the evening. Try it for yourself and let me know which flavor you liked most. Use a discount code ISTHISIT15 to get a 15% off of your first order. Because I talk, a close friend of mine, this wonderful girl um, who's 23, but she grew up in the Amazon to the age of 16. I use her a lot to understand what the world could be without the construct, because she was with indigenous people in the jungle, most of her upbringing, so all of her concepts of life, you know, very different from the one we grew up with. And I asked her about, let's say, sexuality. You know, how did she discover sexuality? And she said, well, I, I think when I was 12, I saw a woman um, touching herself. She was sitting and she was touching herself and she was in this incredibly profound bliss and connection with herself. And that embodied image is what taught her to do the same. Hmm. And the second thing that she said to me is ask her, but how do you now in this world of craziness, how do you make decisions? How do you know what's right for you? And she said, I grew up my grandmother telling me, you already know. You know, and that for me, I didn't have an embodied expression of what's right, what's true, because my patterns, parental, etc., were reflecting something that wasn't quite clear to me. You know, I was confused with what I was seeing. And the second thing is I wasn't told that I have all the answers, that they are inside and that the journey is to also ask myself to search for those ways to connect with myself through practice, through meditation, through sound healings, all the modalities that are kind of coming to our awareness now, which help us connect. That knowledge is all the knowledge you need, because if you do that, the, all the answers will come. So then you don't need to worry about what's right, what's wrong, because if you spend as much time driving your career through your desire to succeed and, and achieve and bring value to the world, and I think that's coming from the head, but that's beautiful, but you also in parallel do that work, introspective work of asking who I am, what are my desires, how do I feel good, who do I feel good around, what situation makes me happy, you know, constantly questioning and nourishing yourself of valuable truths around your own experience as you go along, then you start naturally crafting a life around the things that work for you. Having had no awareness for that got me on a long road of driving things from wanting to achieve things, repair things, find stability that I didn't have, so more repairing I spent most of my life repairing, stabilizing myself, recreating a reality that felt good for me. And then the second part of my life 
I started intercept in the introception into, okay, now who am I? Now that I've got financial stability, I've had two children, they are healthy, you know, I have the time and space, I've created businesses. I had this form of relaxation because mm. the world is tough. It asks so much from us, you know, to be seen, we have to do so much. So now I think the main difference I see is that, especially post-COVID, with the professional world becoming very different. Uh, you can work from anywhere. You can travel the world. Your life is more important than your job. Finally. Finally, you know. And uh, for me, the shift has been that I used to design my life around my work, and now I want to design my work around my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that shift. And I think that, it, for me, the time I grew up, where I belonged, where I came from, is the path. But for my kids... I say, go towards the stuff you love. And one thing that I'm a little sad about that I work on because I don't actually go back and think is expression. Mm. Just express yourself. Like the, the beauty of a fully expressed person creates so much healing for others. Mm. It's one of the most beautiful, I think, embodied, you know, kind of feelings we can have is that we are seen for who we truly are and we're not too much and we're not too weird and we're not too or less anything. We're just good as we are expressed. And when we do that, I think that's when life becomes really, really fun. You know, I mean, I, I'm surrounding myself more and more with people who are more expressed than me. And I don't know, it gives me this comfort wow. <laughs> I want to meet those yeah, people <laughs> you know, you've got to meet them because there's a scale you know it's like I think I did, you know, I still feel like I'm not really expressed I, I always say I'm like 20% wow. you know I feel there is still so much and it's, especially as a woman and mm. you know we have so much to, to give and as now I'm getting to you know this kind of older age I also feel new constructs in society mm. it, you know with women we are set out it never stops because now that I'm 48 I basically see that I'm dismissed by society I'm no longer represented I'm not visible anymore uh, women are age but how does that work though because you do look 30 genuinely so who who can even tell and yes, when does that come know, out yes because there is this illusion that I'm younger that's what people are holding on but what about yeah what if you were for like But what if I looked 60? Yeah, what if? Why is that? Why don't people would, you know, I would say, I want to know more. I want to learn more from that person. I, what have they learned? Who they are? Their beauty? Their, because we've been through life for longer. And as a woman, to just live in this world is a fucking trip. No, Chloe, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. And it, I sometimes think about this. Have you ever noticed that the first and the only thing The first thing that everyone always says, uh, fathers about their daughters, people introducing other, how beautiful she is. Mm. Oh, my beautiful daughter. Oh, my beautiful friend. Oh, it's always beauty. And beauty, because beauty sells, because mm. conditionings upon generations, generations. Oh, my God, Helen of Troy, the most beautiful woman mm -hmm. the war was fought. There... I have no words to express how deeply ingrained is this correlation between woman needs to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. That is all she is. And that is the primary thing that she is. Mm -hmm. Nobody convince me, can convince me otherwise because that comes out in every single form of 
history even and, yeah, and, and content that we sad. have. So what happens is that as we age, the conventional beauty fades mm-hmm. for everyone, women mm-hmm. and men. Mm-hmm. But because women are tied to this identity, to beauty, that's it. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's why they become irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. And, that and, is crazy. and also because, the, stupidly, because we have more purchasing power than other women and they will realize soon that we they will realize the consumer market will realize that <laughs> actually we really are important and suddenly within the next few years there'll be a lot of people in their 50s and 60s in in the media and advertising when they realize there is an opportunity for consumer yeah. you know kind of growth in there but it's a very painful process of being dismissed and so a lot of my Practices are aging practices. You know, I need to do more self-love. I do contouring, which is looking at myself in the mirror and contouring my body and loving the bumps and the irregularities and the changes that I notice and making sure that I am not attached to the image of myself the way I looked before. You know, which is why I don't have any pictures of myself in the house from before. I don't really spend much time. I don't. My camera is broken. I don't take much pictures. It helps me be present with who I am today and reflecting the image of who I am today because we project that image too. So when we attach to a younger version of ourselves, we also project that on other people and continue Mm -hmm. this process. So I feel very fortunate that I have this, you know, youth part of my appearance. You know, of course, I love that and I'm attached to it. But I also know it won't be here forever, you know, and it's important for me to prepare myself and accept the fact that I want to share, you know, the things that I've learned. I want to be seen for, for more the than beauty your looks, that is also inside of me. And I would love for more of the male population to also get better educated that there is so much beauty in experiencing a woman who is older. And yet it is more confronting, you know, because a woman who is more mature, assertive, you know, who has met herself, she's going to be more challenging to be with. And sometimes, you know, we're not prepared for that. We we don't want that. It's easier to have the lightness of youth and, 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 and all of this. But there is depth and there is meaning and there is wisdom and there is a kind of connection that I have experienced now that I never felt before, never felt before, you know, and that's because of my inner knowing. Mm. So... That's a pain, you know, it's I think our society is really, really tough to be healthy in. We don't make it easy for people to feel simply happy with what they have, because what they have is never good enough, whether it's financially, physically, you know, who you know where you at, what you have access to. There is so much value that is put on those things that I feel we should we should really ce- celebrate normality. I feel for me, you know, one of the things I discover is that we have the farmer who lives down there who owns this property. He lives with this 94-year-old father. He doesn't have any kids. He's never been married. I've never met someone happier in my life. Wow. He, he works the field. He does the same thing every day. And he's the most content shining person that I've come across and that is another fault of society that we only celebrate extreme excess grandeur 
and normality, the neighbor who looks after his kids, who is a wonderful father, who, you know, we don't hear those stories. So how can we, you know, aspire to be good enough as we are if everything that's a reference is something that's more than we can, you know, achieve or even want to achieve. So it creates this aspiration. Definitely. Unnecessary aspiration, unnecessary boxing into one mold. Everyone. Life. Did you say he's unmarried and doesn't have kids? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And he's a man. This is this is debunking all of the myths, which is, you know, men that are alone are suicidal and they're dying and they're the most miserable, you know, group of people out there. It's it's debunking that you have to be uh, married and have kids to, you know, age or travel happily. anywhere to do anything. Yes, or, <laughs> or have a career or know people. I mean, you know, and and it's for me, this has been a real shift in my life to realize that. And it's true also with our diet and it's true with everything. You know, our body is looking for homeostasis at all time, which is balance. Mm -hmm. Everything the system is doing is trying to go back to balance. So if we eat the wrong food, if we do the wrong things for our system, we're pushing it out of in extreme. And when you're at this extreme, in order to find balance, you have to go to the other extreme. So that's what we do. Yeah. We've built a society that's built on extremes where anything that's not normal is either a kink or something that's extraordinary or something that's worth talking about. But we don't actually think of balance as a good thing. We think it's boring mm. to be normal. You know, but actually we designed the system is lazy. It doesn't like to spend energy. So if we pull ourselves into these extreme places, we are only focusing on repairing. And when we're repairing, whether we're snacking all day, eating sugar. We don't have enough energy to create and to live. We can't do anything else. We can't repair and we can't create because mm. we're too busy finding balance with our psyche, looping thoughts, trauma, with our eating habits, lack of movement, stress of life, wrong environment, the system is just trying to survive, mm. you know? So living in a harmonious way means that finally, the system is relaxed and the nervous system, which now everyone is talking about the importance of the nervous system, that our mm. life is entirely dependent on where we are, you know, in our nervous system. And I, I find that that's homeostasis and pleasure is one of the fastest routes to homeostasis. When you feeling pleasure, your body completely relax. So you can actually also use pleasure as a way to repair mental health mm. issues, you know, because you're in balance when you have pleasure. You're recepting, you're present, you're appreciating, your body's having a good time. It's not frivolous. It's not an accessory. Pleasure isn't something you do after you've done anything else. We design for pleasure. It's necessary. It's, it's necessary for necessary. survival. And you know how we know it's necessary? Is because pleasure is infinite. Pain isn't. If I do this to you, ow, right? You don't yeah. want it anymore. I can do this for you for hours. You'll <laughs> be like, mm. you know, you Great. may not want it anymore, but your body can take infinite pleasure. There is no limit to how much pleasure you can take. We need to learn that the design tells a story. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit, I'm going to give you another example. It's a bit like squirting. Squirting is a process that is built into our pleasure system. 
and it's prevailed and it survived after millions of years. So it's useful. Hmm. What it is for, we're not interested to research it. We're more obsessed about the idea whether it's P not P, right? But this, <laughs> this body tells you the entire story of how to live well because this body survived. So everything it has tells you what to do with it. So for me, pleasure is a great story of how we should live because when you feel pleasure, you're in balance. You can be there forever. You're present. It's like a nourishment. It's a medicine. It's so interesting. I'm just thinking about, you know, people that suffer from anxiety, people mm -hmm. that suffer from depression. Surely the way to interrupt that pattern is to just immerse yourself in a positive experience, in something pleasurable. You you break the yeah. pattern. I would go first to movement. Bec and movement, like, you know, I, I train now with, uh, you know, primal moves, which just changed my life. You know, this modality is extraordinary. And it's extraordinary because it's a bit confronting. It's hard. It puts you in position that your body is not used to doing. It breaks down the uh, patterns of living, especially sitting on chairs. You know, I, I say sitting is the new smoking. Oh, no. Yeah, sitting is terrible. It's a modern day illness that is a blind spot. The pelvic floor, which is the main muscle that supports your lower organ and also responsible for your orgasm, atrophies by the time you're in your 20s because you sit on it and it's the only group of muscle that isn't trained. And it's a very important group of muscle. You How know, it deals it? with all of the... So you train it simply by bringing awareness into your pelvic floor, which is the muscle that you use to increase or stop your urinary stream. Or if you want to push, pee or pull out. Or if you want to fart, you push. And if you want to make sure you're not farting, you squeeze. So we heard of kegels, yeah. which are there to strengthen a little bit. But the most important part is not just to do it in one direction. So on, on the app, on the camera app, which basically offers modalities and practices and exercises to make pleasure a bigger part of your life. A big part of it is training the pelvic floor by using both the squeezing, but also the pushing. Mm. And the pushing is very counterintuitive because pushing is like what might happen is we mm. push, right? Mm. So we, we hold, squeeze, we want to have a flat stomach. If you think, look at the Buddha, belly is very big and out, right? So we need to breathe into the belly and instead we're breathing shallow here, like that. Yeah. So we need to breathe here. And so you squeeze and you push the pelvic floor. And if you do this every day for a couple of minutes and you don't sit on chair as much, me, everything up there where I work in my house is on the floor mm. where we were going to do the interview. I actually don't really do much in a chair anymore. I try to avoid it. And then that will also expand your sexual potential and your access to pleasure and the, the strength of your orgasms. Because think of your pelvic floor as a muscle. If it's atrophied and it's not trained, this is your orgasms. Mm. If you start pushing and squeezing, you, you are stretching it, you're giving it, it's like any other mu muscle. Yeah. And then your orgasm starts expanding. There's more space for them. There's more irrigation of blood because you're bringing the practice into it. With that blood, there is no oxygen. Without oxygen, there's no nitric oxide, and that's the nitric oxide that makes the nerve feel, mm -hmm. connect to sensation. So in order to feel more, we need to train that muscle, you know, for example. So there is also so many hidden patterns in our modern society that is there to constrict us mm. and actually stop that sexual energy move. Like what? Well, because when you're sitting down, 
and you're not training that muscle. So most Tantra Taoist practice were focused on bringing energy from the sacral chakra up, mm. doing breath practice, you know, uh, whether it's called Kundalini or Prana, it's always about bringing the energy from the sacral up into yeah. the crown, right? These practices have gone completely from our society and habits. And on top of that, we sit all day. And we sit, which means that that energy is no longer moving because the, the base of our coccyx is turned the other way. Mm. So it's very hard for us to move energy. And I think there is a, a, a repression of that energy moving, you know, that has happened over years of through religion, through control, through different habits. The fact that we sit kids on chairs for days. Why is it not sitting on the floor? Mm. You know, this idea that when we sit, we're not distracted by what's happening internally because the energy cannot move anymore. So we have, I believe that we're the only species that's ever lived on Earth that has purposely repressed their life force. And that is why it disconnected us to our internal world and also disconnected us to the fact that we are connected with everything. Mm. You know, when you see a massive group of birds or fish, they move like one body. It's because they're also connected to everything around them. So they have this ability to move with their environment in harmony. We no longer have that. We're disembodied. We no longer have life force activated in our system, which is this healing energy mm. that we can then direct towards organs, towards our creativity. Mm. But because it's also sexual energy and because it can be untamable if it's not practice, we repressed it as a form mm. of danger, as shame, as fear, as what will get us lost, you know, and that's distracted and unproductive. And that's, I think, what's happened to our culture as we evolved and what has repressed women who had so much of that power. And also they believe that the womb has a portal to consciousness, which makes sense because that's where life's come, life mm -hmm. comes from. And so if you think about it, most women have no awareness for their womb unless they, have, they are pregnant. Mm. That's so true. So if you start doing a practice where you bring awareness to your womb by just thinking that you have a womb and maybe connecting with it, reading a little bit about it, looking at the anatomy of the womb, you'll start bringing consciousness into it and that portal can start activating again, you know? So there is different what ways. Well, you know, people can transcend through meditation. You can transcend through sexuality, through that energy. You can, you can go into other realms, um, uh, reach higher states of consciousness through activating and cultivating sexual energy. Mm. I mean, this is another thing that I wanted to ask you about female sexuality. Mm. And there's so much, so much more taboo, I feel like, on female sexuality, their pleasure. I think there's a staggering statistic, which is something like 65% of women don't orgasm. So what would be the first things that you'd say women need to do to... So the, I, I, Open. I would say, it's a big question, but I would say most important things are have a self-practice. Understand that discovering your own pleasure is very important. And really, there is this idea that I can give you pleasure, but actually you create the pleasure yourself. Mm. So know yourself. Spend time 
in self-discovery. Have a self-pleasure practice. Connect to yourself and understand what you like. What turns you on? What are your desires? Where does it feel better? Self-discovery is essential. Because if it's not self-discovery, then we do not have confidence around what we want. And then we can't ask for it, which is the second point. Women need to start asking. I don't want to be penetrated yet. I would like to have sex where um, we don't focus on orgasms. I would like to explore um, cervical pleasure for the next few months. Will you help me? do that. I want to spend time on my own uh, to go deeper, asking for the things we want. We don't do that. So as a result, I'm not asking for what we want because we don't know, because we're not invited to do it, because there's still shame on masturbation for women. Um, And that happens still now with the young generation. Girls 16, 18 tell me, I still feel shame if I masturbate. I still feel shame if I lack sex. When if it's a boy in their same class, um, it's okay that they masturbate. And if they like sex, great for them, kind of thing. So it's still happening now, what was the same when I grew up. Mm -hmm. So knowing yourself, practicing searching for your pleasure, asserting your knowing, therefore asking for it, then creating boundaries for the things you don't want. Learning to say no is very important. Women don't know how to say no. They are constantly, their boundaries are crossed and they know they crossed, but they haven't established the boundaries and they've never said no. And now if they say no, it's going to be a rejection from the other person. So we don't do that. Mm-hmm. So our pleasure is mostly overridden. Our desires are mostly overridden most of our life, even in respected relationship with people who think they're doing the right thing. I know that we override ourselves, that we say yes, we let things happen, we let ourselves being touched, we let ourselves being penetrated, we let ourselves go into things that is not truly what we want. Then there is the issue around the fact that sexuality, as you say, is designed around male pleasure for a very long time, where most of sex is focused on penetration, yet about 65% of women cannot orgasm from penetration only. So it's quite clear that our pleasure is either not about penetration or, which I believe, not penetration the way it's being done. At Kama, you know, I came up with this terminology for an alternative way to do penetration. And I came up with the term suction sex, which was a response to methodology that came with different experts I was working with, which came very clear to me that we needed a new concept for something that was not friction-based sex. With friction sex, in and out, friction movement, we end up desensitizing the tissues. A bit like if you wear a shoe that is a bit small and after a while your skin develops a callus, a protection Mm -hmm. layer. The skin of the vagina, for example, is created with erectile tissue that engorge during sex. But if the process of engorgement, which is the equivalent of erection for the male body, doesn't happen correctly, or doesn't, there's not enough time for it, then the tissues aren't really ready to receive that level of friction. And as a result of that, the body slowly shut down. The tissue starts desensitizing. Sometimes there is pain, but eventually there is numbness that's been formed. So when people say to me, I get bored after five minutes when I have sex, it's because they don't have enough sensations 
to be present. The reason they don't have enough sensation is because they are desensitized by the type of sex they've been having and the lack of awareness also that they bring into their body. Because you can bring more sensation also when you have more presence. So we suction sex, we're reversing this entire process and we're saying that penetration is a two-way activity where there isn't someone penetrating you. It's more the opposite. The person who's penetrated is the one going towards what they want and using the vagina, it works with the anus too, as a mouth, the way you would eat, where you wouldn't just shove something down your throat. You would taste it, mm. smell it, put it on your lips, taste it inside your mouth, and eventually you'll take it in. Mm. So suction says is the idea that your body needs to be sucking what it wants, mm. absorbing towards what it wants rather than being banged into. Yeah. You're basically starting to use your vagina uh, with the pelvic floor. You start pushing to open and then squeezing. To, to And so what I recommend, this is one of the most important piece of advice that I can give people is stop doing penetration the way you sit in porn, the way you've always done it and do it like this. Ask the partner who is penetrating to stand still and no longer move into you. Never move towards you. If anything, they always need to move back a little bit. And you with your body, go and grab as much as you want, as you want it. So you could spend an hour on the tip of a cock, playing with it in your entrance, and you use your hips and your pelvic floor to massage and explore where is the pleasure, because the female pleasure points are not at the end of the tunnel. They are located in a three-dimensional way all around the ages. The G-spot is really up and behind the, the pubic bone. The A-spot is behind the cervix, near the bladder. The U-spot is at the entrance. There's lots of pleasure points that can be orgasmic mm. that won't really reveal themselves if all you have is this kind of penetration. So on the app, we have a course around suction sex that just helps really reframing how to enjoy penetration so that there is no fear of getting hurt, that there is no uh, numbness that arises because of the wrong patterns you know, of behavior towards the anatomy itself. It's about how are we designed, helps us understand how we should behave. And the female anatomy is complex and it's intricate and it has an entire story of how it opens up mm. towards the big experience, which actually happens not in the vagina canal, but in the womb. The true, you know, experience of orgasm is when the womb vibrates and starts having this orgasmic experience, which most people will never experience in their lifetime. Because we're not thinking that way, we don't have sex that way, we don't also train. So the idea that sexuality is a training, that you can become better at pleasure by doing practices and using a jet egg, for example, all these things is lost in our culture. Mm. So, we, you know, it's a bit like you want to be masterful at, you know, using a sword and uh, you just pick up a sword and do that with it. <laughs> <laughs> or you want to be masterful at tennis and you pick up a racket and just do that with it. It's just not yeah. going to happen. You know, there's a whole technicality and, and science around the movement and the way that things happen. So you reach your goals mm. with it. So we simplified and neglected sexuality because of all the construct that we know. And as a result, the female body isn't open to experience the potential and also the male body. 
Because also men can have multiple orgasms. Men with suction sex and an element of like semen retention where you're actually sucking in for the male, sucking in also the pleasure and the energy rather than releasing it as soon as you feel it. And you start building this energetic uh, force inside you. When you master that, it also gives you strength as a man. It gives you power that is grounded in your ability to sustain that inner you know, stimulation and, 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 and this kind of extreme pleasure that is not directed mm. out, that you can actually keep inside of you. How does that work? I've heard this a, a few times. Um, a friend of mine was saying that he's been practicing, so he's been having sex, but he has not been ejaculating. Mm -hmm. So how does that work for someone who's listening? So in the ancient Tantra, they say that the penis should enter soft and come at heart of the sexual experience. We here in a sexual experience to charge each other of sexual energy, to energize and bring more aliveness into our life. That's the function of having sexual energy past the reproductive aspect, obviously, right? So when you're not creating children, what is sex for? Mm -hmm. Sex is to create more life force for you or me as individuals by using each other as a way to build it up. So the idea is not to release that energy, through uh, mostly, I would say, clitoral and ejaculatory orgasms because those orgasms are connected to the pudendal nerve. And the pudendal nerve is a sympathetic nerve. It's an excitation nerve. It has a peak and then it has a refractory period. When we go into those higher states of arousal that are more constant and we start edging, so we go up close to an orgasm and then we push with the pelvic floor and bruise deeply, we're able to go come back down and then we build up again and then go back down and build up again. You start rising the potential that you have for pleasure and holding pleasure is extremely hard. As soon as we feel pleasure, we just want to have an orgasm because we can't hold it. We're not trained to hold this level of pleasure. So it takes, it's a practice, you know, it takes trying. So I would recommend self-pleasuring but not having an orgasm either on the clitoris or ejaculatory, looking for more internal pleasure, stimulation, which allows us to have high level of pleasure, but being in a place where we feel aroused while we are relaxed, where we are able to be completely relaxed in the body because the orgasm really happens in the place of relaxation. It is when we feel the speak coming, usually we tense and hold on to it and that's what's counterintuitive is we need to push and relax and that's when the orgasm can take this inertia this natural inertia and then carry on to other orgasms and other orgasms that follow that's when people tell you oh, i have 24 orgasms or whatever you know because they worked with a tantric person who's able to build that for them not let them orgasm take them to the edge bring them back take them to the edge, mm. bring them back. So you can do this during your self-practice. And it's the same if you have a penis or if you have a, a pussy, you know, you can do this by just edging away from those types of reactionary orgasms that are likely to, sh to actually release the energy mm -hmm. while the others are keeping the energy in. So you feel like charged. You Fascinating. Know? It's a whole, it's a whole science. It's a whole world. It's that we ancient know. also, you know, <laughs> as always. About. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, and 
honestly, to, to everyone listening in to you, I haven't even started my question. <laughs> Three hours later. And I know it's been a while because the sun is soon coming to the zenith. We still have a good light, though. Um, so for the listeners, tell us a little bit more about what is Kama. Obviously, so it's an app. It's a sexual education platform. Tell us a bit more. You know, I... I really went into this business because I realized I knew nothing. I was 39, 40, I separated from my husband. Suddenly, a big breakdown, realized, oh my God, okay, let's rethink life. And I never really asked myself anything about my sexuality. I was so shocked and somewhat disappointed that someone so curious as myself, you know, that loves research, had not gone into that topic and neglected that part. And it just shows us how that's also constructed in our society, not to question those parts of us. So as I was discovering things, I just wanted to share. I just wanted other people to know how important it had been for me to discover, you know, that pleasure is not frivolous, that pleasure is a healing medicine for us, that uh, the more we know ourselves, the more we can communicate and respect ourselves and get closer to what we really want, that being out of touch with our desires creates a reality, you know, that is so much more aligned, not with just our goals, but who we are, you know, as human beings. So I started a business purely because I wanted to educate. I felt that the biggest, you know, uh, let down of society is when we're not edu educated in an objective way, when the information we have is vastly manipulated in a particular way. And education is everything, as we know. It's the number one factor of evolution is, 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 is education. And if you think about it, we don't have sex in any way better than we used to. We still have sex the way we used to, probably like in the Middle Ages. Yes, the position of women have improved. Yes, now we, we are more independent, we, you know, but we're still not having sex the way, you know, the ancient yeah. wisdom is showing us, which is all of the truth that's coming to our awareness today is all these things that they had worked out. So the platform is very simple. I looked at all the questions that people are asking, did a massive research on Google through SEO and realized that what people are looking for are very simple things, such as how to give a blowjob, how to touch um, you know, a woman, how to have anal sex, how to have more connection. You know, really people don't know the basics. Mm -hmm. And so the app is trying to practicalize knowledge into practice by giving people a new lens over the things that they may have been doing. And the great thing I think about the app is it's for, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what situation you are, what sexuality you are, because it's actually, we all pretty much in the same place. We don't have it. Whether it's my son who's 18 or me or my mother, we have the same zero knowledge about this, right? <laughs> this this mean I know because I learned, but we were pretty much... Collectively ignorant. Collectively ignorant and collectively not knowing we're ignorant, which in is denial. worse. Yeah. Collectively in well, denial about knowing. our ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just really, you know, the initially was that I felt if we don't reconcile with that part of our life and if we don't accept that sexuality is everything, like nature is constantly having sex, creating, regenerating. It's a fully 
orgasmic, a baby who's born feels pleasure everywhere the same way. His entire body is pleasure, right? And then we eventually lose that. I really feel that we will never achieve our goals to actualize as human beings if we don't reconcile with that part of our life. So my goal was to create a tool that would educate the mainstream. But I, my mission is to try and change the world with learning about sexuality. Like I think there is something there that is so profound and so meaningful and so healing that uh, the app is super practical. It's really like I take people where they're at, which is how to give a blowjob. And then when they come to the blowjob course, I tell them that the number one factor of a good blowjob is that the person giving it is having a good time. That's what our survey said. So how can you have a good time with giving a blowjob? How can you make the blowjob an experience where you create a deeper connection? You learn about your partner. You find power in that. You find uh, harmony with your way. Uh, it could be everything from starting with a limb penis, and reconciling that uh, sexuality or a man is only worthy if his cock is hard, which for them is a trauma they're not aware of. Mm -hmm. You know, they're never being touched or loved or cared for when they're not in a state of erection, you know. So you can start with actually giving them touch. Uh, we have this practice called the penis stretch, which is basically like you would stretch other parts of your, of your body and giving that to your partner, giving them a treatment, a... Uh, 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 a touch that is directed for their well-being, where you're not trying to get have anything, or there is no other purpose than them feeling good and getting the benefits of the actual stretch. Could be the way that you start, you know. And then it's about using your body and your touch and your eye and your breath and your sound as a way to craft that experience so that they really are able to relax into it and receive. Because men who are able to receive, which is very hard for them, will tell you how liberating it is. Mm. It liberates them deeply when they can actually fully receive and feel comfortable with what's happening. Starting being. Yeah, being in that experience and not using the visual as much, really feeling into it. And also like the presence of the person, caring for them. We have another practice which is called genital worshipping, which is an old practice where you talk to your partner's genitals and venerate them. There is total devotion. You know, you, you value their genital as a healing tool. Mm -hmm. as a tool for pleasure, as a tool for connection. And that changes our relationship to the act of sex because now we are having a different interaction with each other's body and what the body can do. And, you know, the cock is, it has healing qualities. So does the vagina, you know, in that act of presence and sharing where we are attentive to each other, we heal each other you know, in the sense. So I feel that we have, like, put sex in such a low place. At the same time, we talk about it a lot. We think about it a lot. It seems to be important. Yet it's the only thing in our life we want to be good at and we don't practice. How does that work? Fascinating. It's having all these tools available to us, but having not having the knowledge how to. And again, just this 
this misconstrued reality of what can be done and what should be done mm. with these incredible tools yeah. that we have and these parts of us that are not reconciled with the whole of us. It's mm. like the separate thing. I mean, this has been extremely illuminating. And of course, I'd recommend everyone to take a look at Kama. I I don't even know what to do because <laughs> I think I think we could speak literally uh, until the evening. Um, transformative. Hmm. Thank you. No, thank you for having also this conversation. You know, it's not easy to talk about. I mean, I love talking about this, you know, and I believe in it very strongly. But I also want to make it accessible for people. And some of the things that have been hard on my path and discovering to this field that I met a lot of professionals who got into this industry because they were very special in the way that they experience pleasure and sexuality. They're able to have all these different orgasms and they have this incredible, expensive experience. And for me, as much as I want to learn from them, it was also reflecting on my lack. And I want people to understand that this is a path of self-discovery, that it's not about the kind of orgasms that you have. It's really just a journey of accepting that what you said, we have this amazing, we have this amazing engine here that knows how to live in this world in the most harmonious way. And it can provide us with happiness and pleasure. And again, I would like to make sure that it's that we do mention that because of trauma and because of our conditioning, for most people it's very painful. And the sexual practice and using sexuality as a way to explore yourself in a way as a as a tool um, such as mindfulness and other things is one of the hardest paths because it, it doesn't it, it really shows you the parts of yourself that are the most hidden you know the ones that you have shame around where you have been hurt so deeply that your body has shut down in the deepest part of yourself and so it needs to be done, you know, alongside people you trust with a framework. And this is what Kamai tries to offer is a safe space for people to go along the way, pick up things, try them out, because it's not a it's not an easy path, mm. you know, and I want more and more people to feel invited into it. But I know by experience that it will reveal things which are, can be very hard to deal on your own. You know, you end up having a lot of orgasms where you cry after because you're finally releasing what has happened, right? And that happened to people, they panic a bit. They mm. think, what's wrong with me? You know, so I want to warn people too that even though I speak of it, with, of it and its beauty and it's what it's done to me, it's the hardest path you know, that I've been through, the, the hardest healing path that I've been through beyond plant medicines and beyond psychotherapy and all the other things that I did before. It is confronting. You need a lot of love. You need a lot of acceptance to get into that path. So the beginning is exploring. The beginning is accepting that, as you say, we have it there and we have a birthright to have this for ourselves. And pleasure and sex and orgasms and connection and intimacy 
is one of the most beautiful things we have available to us. You know, if you think of all the pleasures and satisfaction we have about life, this is probably one of the deepest and it's the one where we suffer the most. Mm. So it's repairing that relationship, you know, with, with what life really is. And because of the legacy that we all carry with us, you know, when as women, when you start opening yourself up and when you realize you've been overridden, you carry that weight of all the women who have had that done to them. It's not so simple, you know. So it's a really beautiful path. And it's, uh, for me, it's a an, it's an non-negotiable. But at the same time, it's a confronting, you know, avenue of self-discovery that requires for you to have people you trust around you and the right guides. And this is why I really wanted Kama to exist, is that there is a place where the information is sound, where, you know, I've experienced it before I talk about it, that, you know, I relate to other people and make sure that this is absolutely safe for people to play with so that we repair also the confusion that's out there mm. around what's right, what's not right. Is it P? Is it not P? Is the G-spot? Does it exist? That's not really what this is about, you know. And because of the lack of research in female pleasure in particular, we only have ourselves to discover this. So it's about embarking on that journey. Yeah, interesting that what you will find is the truth about yourself, but no one really can tell you what it is. Um, maybe that's a bit heavy, but... No, no, it's... I've never been more okay with abandoning my questions <laughs> and just going with the flow than today because everything you say just resonates so much. So many situations I could relate to myself so much new information that you've shared today and so information that is so important mm. so important i mean we've spoken about realizing who you are reconnecting to life itself experiencing the other person experiencing discovering what pleasure even means i mean we've you've given me so much more than any of the things that i could have asked you could have gotten. Nonetheless, I will say we should probably make a part two at some point. Um, and yeah, I will ask you though my, my question that I always ask in the end because everyone seems to naturally gravitate and want this thing, mm. which is happiness. So what is your recipe for happiness? The only thing I can tell you is that my philosophy is to maximize the present moment. I have realized, especially through the opening, you know, of our psyche and extraterrestrial reality, that we don't know nothing, really. The only thing I know for sure is I'm here with you in this moment. And if I'm authentic to myself, if I'm present, if I'm able to connect internally while I connect with you, that's enough. It makes me happy in this moment. I'm not in my head. I, I mean, it's, I know it sounds so simple, you know, sometimes I, <laughs> I wonder, but we complicate life a lot, you know, and then we can't believe it's so simple. Um, so I would say practicing presence, being, making sure that when you are in this moment, you are in this moment and you're not somewhere else. I feel that's for me is a simple philosophy that has served me a lot. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, I do do a lot of 
sensorial practices so that the happiness isn't a goal. It's a feeling. Mm. It feels good. So I'm happy. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Dana. Hello, friends. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and share it with someone. I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions as to what guests you would like to see in the show next. See you next week.